0: Well, Joni, thanks for sharing. I, too, am up here every week trying to not have an accident, so (laughs) glad I'm not alone in that. Now, it really is a a thing of fear and trembling to come and be with you together, my family, in God's Word, by the Holy Spirit, uh, to just marinate in Christ together, and yet I'm reminded of the words of the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, that the job of the minister is merely to get out of the way. To let the lion out of his cage. The word of God will do the rest. And so here we are, confronted by Psalm 42, written into this story, pride comes before a fall. The Lord wants to meet us and to convict us to heal us in our pride, but also show us a better way, the way of David, to be planted like an olive tree. By streams of living water. And so as we begin, we're going to hear this parable from Luke 18. I was supposed to bring my Bible up here with me. From Luke 18, listen closely to the words of Jesus here. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, like Doeg, that they were righteous. And treated others with contempt. He said, Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, very religious, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. It's twice more than you do. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he's the one who went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted and so from genesis to revelation god's word reveals to us this upside down kingdom this different way of things that the humble and the lowly will be lifted up when they feel like they are falling and the proud the haughty and the high will be brought low pride comes before a fall We know that's true, and certainly true as a promise and a principle from God's Word, yet the proud so often seem to prosper. Have you turned on the news recently? The proud and the haughty and the demanding and the arrogant and the overconfident so often seem to be the ones who prosper, and worse so, frequently at the expense of the downtrodden, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the needy. And the weak. Enter Psalm 52, which minces no words about the present and real reality of wicked and mighty men. It's not abstract. This is real life. Indeed, I think it's real life for some of you. If you were to close your eyes, you can imagine the dough eggs of your life those who have been proud and pursued, those who have betrayed those who have cared more about power in this world than the promises of God forever. It's personal for David too. Did you see that in the first stanza? He uses the word you three times, second person. Why? Well, to understand a bit of the why, we have to go back to the old, uh, the context, the story, the, the narrative that's in play here. It's right out of the book of First Samuel. And I'd encourage you to go and read 1 and 2 Samuel. If you don't have time to do that, uh, the Bible Project videos are phenomenal. You can find them on YouTube Uh, for both books, about 15 minutes. But to understand this Doeg, Saul, David, and what's happening in Psalm 52, we need to look a bit at the bigger story. It really takes place in 1 Samuel 17 through 22. 1 Samuel 17, David has his meteoric rise, the young shepherd boy. The young boy from, from northern New Mexico that nobody in this room would have chosen. How dare we think we would have. When Samuel himself looked at the sons of Jesse and said, uh, it's none of these guys. Do you have one more? They said, yeah, we've got one more. We sent him out to baby, babysit the sheep because he's the runt. And yet this is the one who comes and stands before Goliath, the Philistine, tells Saul, I don't need your armor. I only need smooth stones, a sling, and faith that God will do what he has promised. And he slays the giant. Well, this endears David, young David, to all of Israel. In particular, to the son of Saul, Jonathan. They become knit tightly as friends. They make covenant together. But Saul himself started off with great love and affection for young David. We're told that David leaves his father's house and comes into the house of Saul. That is, he gets the love and the food and the blessings and the benefits of Saul. It it all started so well until Saul's jealousy crept in. Saul's fear. Saul's fear and jealousy crept in. So strongly that he he ends up trying to kill David, even as David is leaving on various military campaigns and winning great battles for Saul and the nation of Israel. We're told that at least on two occasions, while David was strumming his six-string guitar, Saul tried to pin him against the wall with his spear. So David flees. And you have to think that David is wondering what is going on here. How did this escalate so quickly? But of course, of course, Saul's character is rotten. He loves power, he fears men, and he's jealous of young David. At one point in the story, David still isn't sure if there's hope for him to be reconciled to Saul, so he and Jonathan put a plot together to see if uh, Saul would allow Jonathan to go to Bethlehem for a feast. If the answer is yes, there's hope. If no, there's not, the answer is no. And at that moment, Saul is consumed. The Bible says a spirit comes upon him of wickedness, and he has set his face to destroy David and wipe him from the earth. So David flees. David flees to a little town in Israel called Nob, N-O-B. It is a Levite city. It's a town of priests, and there he runs into a guy named Ahimelech. Now, David is by no means innocent. He may be a man after God's own heart, uh, but... David is a total cluster as well in his life. And like so many leaders, it starts young. And so what does he do? He deceives the priest. He tells Ahimelech out of his own fear that the reason he's alone and there's no one with him and no army and no friends is because Saul has sent him on a very important secret CIA mission. So he's alone. As a result, Ahimelech does too Quite scandalous things. First of all, he feeds him with the sacred showbread. And secondly, he gives him what belongs to Saul, the sword of Goliath. David leaves. All the while in the background, there was a herdsman, a businessman, trying to make his way up in the world, Doeg the Edomite. He overhears and sees all of this. And perhaps at that moment, because of Doeg's love for power, the the seeds of sin are planted in his heart. David flees again. He goes down to Gath of the Philistines. He pretends to be crazy. He hides in the cave of Adullam. Saul's anger begins to really ruminate on the fact that he can't catch young David. And it all comes to a head when Saul and his army approach the city of Nob. He demands to know from Ahimelech, the priest, what happened. Ahimelech says, I'm innocent. Look, I didn't know what David was doing. He, he came down here in, in good faith. I had no idea that you hadn't sent him on a secret CIA mission. But Saul is consumed with his own sin, and he demands that the life of Ahimelech and indeed 85 priests be taken in that very moment. He calls upon his warriors to slaughter the priests of Nob. God-fearing men, they say no. But unfortunately, standing in the background is another sword drawn. Doeg, the Edomite, who rises to the sinful challenge and in that moment kills all 85 priests and then goes on a terrorizing rampage in the city, slaying men, women, and children who would dare oppose him. And yet one of Ahimelech's sons escapes. He goes to David. He finds David. And he tells David what happened. And in 1 Samuel 22, you you get this overwhelming sense of David's grief and his pain and his shame and his sin and his blame. He says, I have occasioned the death of your father's entire house. But yet come with me, son." And I will protect you. Derek Kidner, commentator on the psalm, says it is one of David's bitterest experiences as a young leader. He learns the hard way. This is not going to be an easy road of uninterrupted meteoric rises in your life. This is the stuff of, of HBO miniseries drama. And yet I think we can see ourselves in the story. That, that's really the challenge of the story. That's why... I've retold it for you. Where are you here? How do you connect to David in this story? Or perhaps you know your own pride and you connect to Doeg or you've seen yourself in Saul. How does this connect to you? And as you pause to consider that question, know this, that whatever you're in right now, whether you're being pursued by wicked and proud men, or perhaps God is going to convict you of that very thing, wherever you're in this story, David dealt with it. And so today, as we come to the Word of God, and we come to Jesus in His Word, we are not alone. Life can feel like it's falling down around us. We are falling. The proud don't seem to be falling, and yet we know that we need to be lifted up. In 16 days from now, we're going to have an important day in our country, aren't we? It's called Love Your German Pastor Day. No, that's not what it is. You know what's happening in 16 days. And if it's anything like the last four years, there's going to be tears on both sides. And even tears in the middle. This is one of the things I love about our church, that we're actually, I think, quite a bit more diverse than people even realize. There will be some who have tears of joy. There will be some who have tears of sadness. But the challenge of Psalm 52 is God has you, right? God has you, right? He hasn't hasn't abandoned His church. He hasn't given up on his people. He isn't going to let the proud and the wicked overwhelm the eternal and ongoing and insurmountable work of his kingdom, right? So in Psalm 52, we get this raw example of what happens to the prideful, the comfort that that God's promises are sure. And more than that, at the end of the Psalm, we get another way to live. Instead of the uprooted proud doeg, egg, we get the rooted olive tree of David. One commentator sums up Psalm 52 in this way. The psalm enables the faithful to develop confidence. That's what we need right now. Confidence in God's care and protection. In all of the changing and challenging circumstances of life external and internal, and particularly when surrounded by ruthless enemies. This does sound like a song for our season. And so the main point of Psalm 52 is this. We can have confidence that God will not let the proud stand, but He will exalt the humble. That when it feels like falling, or you truly are falling, we can have confidence that the steadfast love of God endures All day long for you. And we see this in the psalm in three ways. Let me tell you what they are. First of all, we see how to fall, we see the results of pride. Secondly, we find out what's at bottom. And thirdly, how to last, because that's what we want to know. How can we last when the challenges of pride surround us? So, first of all, how to fall, verses one through four. What does the prideful fall look like for Doeg? This psalm is part warning and part wisdom. It's partly for us to to look at the story and be warned, but also the psalm itself is ahistorical, meaning it's for us in all times and all places. It's an opportunity to check ourselves where we're found with pride. Pride. First comes pride. Isn't it always that way? C.S. Lewis has said that pride could be the chief root of all sins. And so David sarcastically refers to Doeg as the the mighty man. Look at you, mighty man. Wow, you're, you're a big man, aren't you? Better translation here might be warrior. He's a fighter, a fighter for his own cause for his own riches, as the psalm says, his own comfort and control, his own power. But we hear David's sarcasm coming through. You're real tough, aren't you, man? Killed a bunch of pastors. You killed 85 priests. I mean, no offense, but I don't exactly have the physique of a special operations warrior. So how hard is it to kill 85 pastors? You know, I did a wedding last night, and we're getting ready to go into the wedding, and I'm feeling the full effects of the, the full COVID-19, and, and the lady that's the wedding planner at the Loretta Chapel looks at me and goes, sir, could you button your jacket? And I said, "Ma'am, it doesn't do that anymore. I'm like, it, it really doesn't. Sorry, you know. I know that would look better, but we should have thought of that in advance. Oh, Egg, how tough you are to take out 85 pastors. But the question that David is asking is this. Who can defy God for long? You see, Doeg's problem isn't that he was overcome with rage and excitement to appease Saul, and so he did something horrible. His real problem is his character. We're shown that because he's a boaster. Boasting here isn't just something he does, it's something he is. In Hebrew, a better translation would probably be smugness. This sense that I'm clever. I've got it under control. This is, this is the first sin of our parents. Did God really say? Does God really want to be the one to humble us and say, here's good, here's evil, trust me, walk in my way, even through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will uphold you. Doeg boasts. He says, no, it's my way. I'm God. And in this sense, we see something else very important. Again, it should convict us of uh, of the areas of creeping sin and pride in our own life, because arrogance always leads to cruelty. Arrogance always leads to cruelty. So first comes pride. But but how? It's expressed in words. Did you notice that? No mention is really made of Doeg's expertise as a swordsman. It's all about his, his tongue, his plots, his lying, his words that devour And what I love about this and what I love about Jesus is that Jesus won't let us get away with distancing ourselves from what is here in this psalm to convict us that we might be healed and grow and be useful in this city. Precisely that there are areas where we and I especially need to repent and turn from where I am proud and arrogant. And man, I'll tell you guys, I have struggled with it. I'm I'm 39, I'm almost 40, I'll be old, man. And I got here four and a half years ago And I guarantee, I mean, it's been, there's been a lot of slices of humble pie over these years of learning that, you know what, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know as much as you think you know. And maybe just relax and stop trying to fix everything and trust Jesus. The Lord doesn't want us to circumvent that work. And so we have Luke chapter six, verse 45, where Jesus tells us, oh, you can have it good on the outside, but don't worry. The overflow of your mouth the words that come from your mouth, it's the overflow of your heart. It really gets down to the heart. And that's where the psalm beckons us to listen. Pride and words, these are symptoms. The real problem here is Doeg's disordered loves, his idolatry, his serving of false gods. Do you see this in verse 3 and 4? You love evil more than good. You love all words that devour Oh, how easy it would be for us as Christians to say, you know what? I don't cuss that much. I mean, some of you are pretty good. You don't cuss hardly at all. You're like a, a twice-a-year toast stubber kind of a cusser. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. And, and I'm not making light of the fact that we need to guard our tongues and season our speech with salt, but it's, it's pretty easy to kind of, you know, I don't do the big sins anymore, and I certainly don't do them in public. But the psalm wants to get down to our loves, our affections. What burns hot in our hearts, our passions, that's the real problem for Doeg is his heart is captured by another. And so as David marvels at Doeg, I mean, how could you mock God? Don't you know that God is going to get his? In the same way, the Lord turns it back on David himself. Don't forget Psalm 51 from last week and the words of Nathan the prophet, you are the man. What we're meant to see in the destruction of Doeg isn't that he used cuss words and made fun of people and said mean things. But instead, that what you love most, you will end up worshiping. And if you worship something other than God, you will have a functional Savior that will lead you to sin. And that sin will always take you further than you want to go. There's no way that Doeg woke up that day thinking he was going to kill 85 priests in his own town. But to have other lovers, other gods, is indeed to be shaped by those things. Not only what you love most you worship, but we become what we worship. And what Doeg is doing here is he's trying to win the favor of Saul and sidle up to him. He's just a lowly herdsman Edomite in a no-name town. But maybe if he does this, he can get some power and some advancement. A test for us might be our daydreams. I don't know about you, but I've been known when times get tough to have some pretty elaborate escape fantasies. I can usually fly, I'm a billionaire. Is that Batman? What about our daydreams when things get hard? Where's your mind go? What places do you go to to say, "Yeah, I think that would be that would be the thing that will solve my problems." So in Doeg, in the question of how to fall, our hearts are revealed. Well, what do we find at bottom? As you might imagine, we find great consequences. We find the powerful, holy, good justice of God. If you look at the book of First and Second Samuel, uh, you see clearly the, uh, the narrative arc of Saul, right? Great rise, great fall. But did you know that that's true for David as well? A great rise and a great fall. Indeed, many commentators would say that after the Bathsheba-Uriah incident that we heard about last week, David never really recovers from that. The consequences are profound on his household. His daughter is raped. There's a murder in his house. His son tries to take over the kingdom, and at the end of his reign, the kingdom is divided, and he's a broken man. The proud are brought low, and the humble are exalted. And so what we see in the psalm is that pride leads to judgment. Hence the the mechanisms that the psalmist employs to say, how could you? It's laughable. Why would you trust in your riches? Pride leads to judgment. Family of God, our Lord will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And even as we're convicted of our sin, that is, that is where the comfort is found, that God is just, that he will indeed crush the head of the serpent. So I was talking to a friend the other day, and I told him I had this really weird experience in my hot tub. And he goes, you need to tell your church about that. And I said, you're crazy. And then he challenged me to do it. So here we are. So it was a couple months ago. I was having a bad day. Can I be honest with you People. was one of those, like, I'm wrestling, it's COVID, church, life, it's all about me, internal stuff, you know, Lord, who, it's kind of like Zoolander when he gets his tiny phone, you know, God, who am I, you know, it was one of those moments, and I was just struggling with my life, with my calling, with all these things, so I'm in the hot tub thinking that, you know, by the grace of God and the bubbles of Jesus, all my pain will be taken away, and I just can't get it off my mind, so I stopped, and I did something, shame on me, that I don't do very often. I really cried out to God. Lord, I need you. Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, would you something, anything. And of course, in that moment, you know, all my hundreds of pounds of theology textbooks threaten to crush my head. Because I know you don't put out a fleece, and you don't ask for signs and visions and special revelations, and nothing is on the level of God's word. I know that. But in that moment, I really felt desperate. I really did. Lord, help me. Speak to me. So I look up into the sky, and in the clouds, and I'm telling you, I saw this. There's like a skull. And I immediately started to doubt myself. I'm like, you idiot, now you're seeing things. You know the brain looks for patterns. I'm a son of a scientist who's the son of a scientist. This is not allowable. But in that very moment, I looked up, and as the clouds were moving, a satellite and a star met, and were exactly in the eyes of this skull. And in that very moment, because it was a windy night, something like a foot came out of the sky and crushed the skull. I swear I saw this. And you're not even supposed to swear in church. I know what I saw. And in that moment, with my challenges and my fears and all my stuff, God said something to me that wasn't about me at all. It wasn't some, oh, Greg, don't worry, everything's going to be okay for you just how you want it. A nice, easy life. Instead, it was as if the Lord impressed upon me, I will crush the head of the serpent. There are wicked men. There is injustice. The prideful do seem to prosper. But know this, as the psalm says, I will, I will crush the head of the serpent. That's what's at bottom. And out of that comes David's prayer for himself. How to last? We need a new way. A way that trusts God. We need a reordered life of reordered loves. We need this contrast between the you of Doeg and the I of David. And he gives us one single powerful metaphor to understand it. How to last? Be an olive tree. Be an olive tree. And there's two primary images that the psalmist is drawing from the olive tree, two things that you need and I need if we want to last and not be destroyed by our pride, but exalted in the humility of Christ. The first is that you need longevity. Olive trees, apparently, I did not know, live a very long time. A very long time. Why? Well, in part, it's because of how deeply rooted they are. When the wind and the rain and the everything comes, they're not toppled over. They're not blown over. They're not, they're not tossed about like a wave of the sea. They're deeply rooted. And so David says, I will praise you and thank you publicly, and I'll do it forever. If you ever go to Israel, and you can just Google this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right now, there are olive trees that have been alive since at least the time of Jesus. They're thousands of years old. So how do you last? Rooted Longevity. But also, notice how he describes the olive tree. He says it's a green olive tree. You know what that means? It's not dead. It's not just sitting there dead for a really long time. It's alive. So not only longevity, but vitality. This is an olive tree that's filled with sap. So much so that it bears fruit. You want to last? Root and fruit. And that is the charge of this psalm. That that is what we're called to do. Go out in Santa Fe and be the tree. There's a lot of anxiety right now. Have you noticed people are on edge? Have you driven in this city recently? I usually only see one, maybe two road rage incidents per month. Now it's like every time you go out, you're, you're seeing something crazy. There's a mantle of anxiety and oppression across our land. We all feel it because of everything that's going on. So be the tree because the call isn't just for you to last in the grace of God through Christ. The call is for this this city and this place to be renewed by the fruit that you bear. So that's it. That's what you need to do. I know it's COVID. I know we need to be in small groups. I know it's harder than normal to party, but you still have to party. You got to find a way to have people over you got to find a way to open your home and your table and your door and your resources and bless your family and your kids and your grandkids and you need to go party, you need to be the tree. Where this psalm ends, though, isn't with who we need to be. Okay, longevity, vitality, I can do it. Where this psalm ends isn't with who we need to be, it's with How? Because there will be prideful men and women. They do deserve perhaps our sarcasm, but you know what? It still hurts. What David has been through is deeply traumatic. This will be for him something that he has to unwind by the grace of God for the rest of his days. He is facing grief. It is real trauma, and it's hard to come back from that. Not only if you're the boy king leader, but for anybody, it's hard to come back from that, to rebuild trust. And you've seen it a million times, haven't you? People that have longevity, but no vitality. So you know what? I've been hurt. I can do this. I can stay here. I'll put my head down. I'll block you, block you, block you, push you away, push you away. I'm not gonna be hurt again. Can have longevity, but no vitality. And of course, we've all seen people who have vitality. And it's nothing more than a flash in a pan because they're not rooted. And this is how Psalm 52 most potently gets us back to the gospel of Jesus who is our Christ. Because at the center of this psalm is the confidence that the psalmist has. Not in his ability to do longevity and vitality. Not in his ability to correctly identify the prideful. Not in his ability to mock them. But in his trust of the steadfast love of the Lord. That God will crush the head of the serpent. That it will be the tax collector and not the Pharisee who goes home justified. That it will be the one who is humble, that is exalted. The one who beats their chest and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus has done it all for us. He's faced a million dough eggs for us on the cross And he has borne the wrath of our own pride on that same cross. He has been the one to fall under the weight of our pride and yet exalted in the resurrection and the very power of God so that no matter what the circumstances are around us, no matter how hard the wickedness pushes in, we can know that we, like Christ, our friend and our Savior and our elder brother, we, like Christ, will be lifted up. I don't know about you, but I want to last. I want to last. Even when I'm tempted to be Doeg, in my heart of hearts, Jesus, I love you. I want to last. I want you to root out my pride. I want Jesus to make us trees bearing fruit in Santa Fe. But the only way, the only way to to last is to be the ones who are lifted up. The only way to last is to be humbled before the cross of Jesus Christ receive his grace and be lifted up in his resurrection the only way to last is to come back again and again to verse 1 why do you boast O mighty man the steadfast love of God endures all the day for you let's pray father in heaven we thank you for psalm 52 Would you, Lord, in your mercy and your love and as a good, good father, would you reveal to us those places of pride in our hearts? Would you reveal to us those places where we are prone to pride in words, but really because of loves, where we sidle up to power like Doeg, and then we sin because it's idolatry, and then, Lord, it it takes us so much further than we ever want to go. Thank you, God, that you bring us back. Not because we're good enough or special or religious or we've earned it, but because we have been humbled. And so now in Christ, we will be exalted. Lord, I pray as we come to this table that you would never let us forget what's at bottom, that you will crush the head of the serpent. And that in doing that, we have great hope and great confidence that we can be like a rooted olive tree bearing fruit in this city. Lord, help us to go to the places where there is anxiety and fear and and all these things and, and bring the good fruit and bring the oil of the tree. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us because of all you have already done for us. In Jesus, your son, amen.